Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you will love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels. And even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can also book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It's easy. Book hotels in 10 seconds in just three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio going through succession withdrawal, it's Andy Greenwald! I appreciate the honesty. Today's a very emotional, emotionally raw and present day. This is our last podcast in person with each other for a minute. For a little while, man. While you go off into the desert to make your art. Yeah. I'm on a different trip now, man. I just got back from the lake. I don't even, not even remarked upon my beard. Do you have a beard? <laughs> Did you really not shave? Do you know how how much I talk to my wife about like should I shave? Should I see. not? And then I f- I fucked up. I, I shaved too much of my neck. Are you growing a beard? I was trying to. I'm really I, I in just, a different zone right now. Wow! I came in here with my own cone of feelings. Yeah, I was like, oh, he doesn't notice. Maybe it's not that noticeable. <laughs> I fully didn't notice. I mean, you look, you look, you look like your normal, handsome, smiling self. Greenwald, it's Monday. I'm back <laughs> from vacation. Uh, we're gonna talk about. Yeah. I think we're gonna talk about our lives, man. We're gonna talk about each other. I think, look, and then we're gonna talk about content wars because we have. There's a bunch of like little news things from TCA's mm-hmm. announcements of shows that are coming up, mm-hmm. and I kind of was just like looking at all these these stories coming out yeah. of of the last few weeks. And I felt like it would be a good time to do a Content Wars update. You see the big picture now, man. Well, you know, I work with Fennessy. Uh-huh. I just see the chessboard. Yeah. Uh, no, Sean, we wanted to talk about Sean's article today about yeah. the Oscars. And we didn't get a chance to talk about that last week. But you should listen to the emergency big picture that Sean, Amanda, and Willie Simmons did on that one. Um, but I was just thinking about today about like, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting moment. I feel like there was a flood of announcements of acquisitions of new so shows of new seasons of shows mm-hmm. and it positioned all these different networks that we tend to talk about a lot in a very interesting counterpoint to Netflix which is essentially the big bad right now not the big bad in terms of its morality or its evil or not but it's like that's the that's the boss level right everyone's now. reacting yeah, to Netflix of course and they are actually now articulating that so yeah. I thought we would go through a couple of the networks that we tend to talk about and look at their slates and look at their their position in the game but first let's talk about Let's just talk about what's going on with us. I just think that's important. I think that after this many years of doing a podcast together, so many years of friendship, we even shared a photo from our friendship. Yeah, thanks for the comments on my hair, guys. Mislabeled. People were like, this was 20 years ago. <laughs> nah. That's just <laughs> 10. That's just 10 years 10. ago. Thir- 13. Um, yeah, I just feel like there's space for us, you know? There's space for us to just be real with people. Let it rip, man. Like, let's just be honest. It's your hour. Look, I'm the one taking all the flack. Are you? For unpopular ice cream opinions, okay? Yeah. Like, that's still, that that fire's still smoldering. That was some fuck shit. <laughs> Dude. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm great. I want, first of all, one thing I've learned from being a TV critic and watching a lot of television is that anytime a male character of a certain age says, guys, I'm great. In fact, I've never been better. <laughs> I'm not a bad man. He's telling the truth. Yeah. I want to hear about your time up north. Yeah. You're rafting. 
I was in I was you, in Lake Tahoe. You were consuming some content though while you were there that I feel like did you want to talk about that? It, we can't. I think so. Here's the thing. I think Patrick Hoffman talked about this book, Dog Soldiers, while I was Patrick Hoffman, author of Every Man and Menace. Yeah, it was a, it's just a probably my favorite book of the last few years. And we got a chance to have him on the podcast. He was part of the Double Down Book Club. If you haven't read Every Man and Menace, I highly Highly recommend People it. are reading it. I think he mentioned Dog Soldiers, which is a novel by Robert Stone. Uh-huh. I think it's from 1975. Okay. Won the National Book Award. It was made into a movie called Who Will Stop the Rain with Nick Nolte in like in the late 70s. The, the movie was called Who Will Stop the Rain with Nick Nolte. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what if they started <laughs> What if they started calling things like John Travolta and Kirstie Alley, look who's talking. <laughs> <laughs> they did. That's accurate. Um, Spoiler, it was the baby. Yeah. Uh, I read this book while I was gone, man. It really put me in a different place. You're different now. Yeah. You have a beard, sort it's of. It's about, surprising, surprisingly enough, it's about uh, a journalist in Vietnam towards the end of the war who decides to smuggle heroin back to California. Wow. And uh, he enlists his friend, quote unquote. Nick Nolte. Named Hicks okay. to do it for him. And when Hicks gets to California, he's supposed to bring the drugs to uh, the main character, John Converse's estranged wife, Marge, uh-huh. who works in a porn theater in San Francisco. This is rich stuff. And they're going to uh, they're gonna sell the dope. And uh, it goes very wrong. But it is like this incredible journey from Saigon to San Francisco down to um, L.A. and Hollywood Laurel Canyon of the early 70s. And it, it was really, really great. It reminded me a little bit of Don DeLillo's Running Dog. They're very good companion books. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're about dogs. They're just about the collapse of like the late 60s and what the void that was left afterwards, which I think is increasingly becoming my favorite thing to read about. Well, I wanted to to go there because, first of all, I'll just break some news on this podcast. Ordered myself up a copy of, of the book. Yes! I have... Clutch. I'm going to have a lot of free nights in the desert coming up. Um, <laughs> there are only, no free nights you, in the desert. You can only do peyote and talk to coyotes, you know... Six six out of every seven nights. Yeah. So I, so that's taken care of. It might, in fact, become a Double Down Book Club selection. Yeah, I'd love people that. People want to get a jump on that. I'd love that. Um, but when you were describing it to me, I realized that you and I and all of us and probably a lot of our listeners have cultural sweet spots where there are eras that we will basically consume any culture related mm-hmm. to. And I think, I think you just admitted it, but I've, I've, I've increasingly realized that for you, it is that kind of late period Vietnam, post-Vietnam reordering of the world post-hippie reckoning. Yeah, yeah. And then the, there's the, the basic- Crum- James Crumley, um, Last Good Kiss, which was one of our Double Down book club I'm selections. I'm kind of wondering whether we're that. like ent- cyclically, like culturally, we're entering into a, a similar moment right now mm-hmm. um, where basically like, I think that as a society or, or maybe people's concept of society becomes unmoored from a baseline of like stability right. and the and, and faith in institutions and faith in uh, your own psych like consciousness right. is starting to falter. And a lot of these characters in in, in Dog Soldiers and in, in other books from around this era are experimenting with expanding their consciousness or have gone through mm. whether they've like experimented with Zen Buddhism in the wake of the Beats and psychedelia with the sixties and now they're maybe getting into harder stuff and maybe they're getting into some of the new age cultier ideas that were around after the 60s and that's that's in the air and there's something about this time although like I live a pretty sheltered bubbled life well you've got a beard now so all bets are off that's true I mean you know but there's something about the way that this time feels where I think that you know regardless of where you are like you probably have less faith in 
uh, institutions now yeah. than maybe you did two or three years ago. Well, so what are, I'm putting you totally on the spot. That's fine. You want to throw out a couple other pieces of this era's canon for you? Yeah, that, so that you I, like feeling? I said, Running Dog, which is a, a, an, a pretty underrated Don DeLillo novel, mm-hmm. um, which is about, a, you know, it's very complicated, but it's essentially about uh, a countercultural, like, literary journal and an investigation into political corruption, but it's DeLillo, so it's not really about that. Mm-hmm. I think, obviously, like, um, White Album is 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 a Ooh, sort of seminal text for that period. Not not the Beatles record, but the Joan Didion. Right. And then I think, honestly, we've talked a lot about this, but Crumley. James Crumley is, yeah. a, is a, a detective novelist who was essentially writing in the vein of Raymond Chandler, but was writing about these kind of burnouts out in the west on, out in the west from Montana to San Francisco and 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 point south that were kind of g- grappling with this like rapidly changing modern society. So I think that those are some of the big ones. I'd throw an author named Newton Thornburg onto there, mm-hmm. Cutter and Bone and Dreamland are two books. For me, my, Can you tell it's August that we're talking about early 70s? No, I, this is yeah, great. This yeah. is great. This is this is the kind of stuff that you can't get on any other popular podcast or even this one, which is losing readership or listenership by the moment. Um, I think my era for cultural whatever is like 81, 82 to 87. If it's in that period, I am completely obsessed with it. I feel like my childhood is... But not like Goonies. No, 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 no. no. Um, Literature, movies. I think for me, because that's an era that I remember texturally, like, mm-hmm. I remember when things looked the way they do in those sure. movies, but sure. I was very little and had no interaction with it, of course. And yet, it so it feels like it's constantly slipping out of my grasp. Like, I feel like I should know it. It was happening, but I was in kindergarten, <laughs> right. you know, so I didn't know it. In, so a, for in me, kindergarten watching crimes and misdemeanors. <laughs> this is based more on, like, on a, a sort of weird, creeping, like, like nostalgia feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you just kind of want to touch it and understand it because you were there, but you weren't. And for me, like, I, I think it, it's brought on by a lot of music. Um, sure. I feel like my childhood was soundtracked by the horns on Paul Simon's Graceland and the horns on Billy Joel's An Innocent Man. Mm. I feel like those are like uh, Citizen Kane's rosebud sled for oh, me. Oh man, can I, I tell you something? Yeah. Quick, quick aside. So yeah. uh, there's a radio station in Lake Tahoe called The River. <sighs> Classic. This is good stuff already. And I was driving back from rafting. <laughs> Down A? Can you say it? They oh, had like, you know, like it was really funny because like I just didn't. We just had a rental car and it wasn't like we had Sirius and I didn't plug my iPhone in or so it was just like letting the radio do it. And they were like, it's so funny like when you go back and they're like, you're not going to believe it, but coming up next, seven songs (laughs) back to back. And you're like, congratulations, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Commercial free. Things have changed. And, uh, you know, you're driving along uh, Lake Tahoe and a lot of the architecture and the sort of like campsites and stuff look very Camp Crystal Lake. They look very 80s. And they were playing like, Tommy Two Tone eight six seven five three zero nine and and Bad by U two yeah. and um, Big Time by Peter Gabriel and I was like God damn this music is good that you know you know it does it's that- weird to find yourself like in that moment where you're like the actual out out what I'm looking at out my window matches perfectly with what I'm listening to I love that yeah I like another another song that you're reminding me of that I used to hear a lot driving to to to, to day camp. Genesis is invisible touch. Oh yeah. I mean that's that's still a jam. Phil. But but I would just say like that obviously that music but like I think I think a lot about this whatever you guys know what I like in ice cream now so I, I I'm leaving it all on the table. But like in the film Hannah and her sisters yeah. Sam Waterston wears like a tweed jacket and dates caterers and I'm like that was a thing? 
Like Sam Watterson in that movie is younger than we are now. And he's just like, Diane Weist, let me take you to my favorite opera. Like for real? Yeah. That's, that is as far away seeming to me as Daniel Day-Lewis's behavior in the Age of Innocence. <laughs> and yet we were alive. Yeah. So I'm just fascinated by that. Fascinated by that. Um, anything else you want to do? Yeah, I just want to throw one other book on the pile for people. I'm really enjoying. Um, there's a New York Review of Books public. They publish books also, and they've been like uh, republishing books that have gone out of print. And you can't really go wrong with a lot of what they put out. But recently, they put out a book called Ivory Pearl by one of my favorite writers, a French mystery writer named uh, Jean Patrick Manchette. Mm-hmm. And he made a he wrote a couple of books that I strongly recommend. Super dark noir, like. He thinks adjectives in these books are really frilly. And one of them is called The Prone Gunman that was made into a bad Sean Penn movie a year or two ago. Oh, yeah, The Gunman, yeah. Um, Not that, that bad. Bo- the book's great. <laughs> <laughs> really? You wanna, okay. <laughs> Did you see it? Uh, I just assumed it was bad. The, basically, the, the thing with that movie is that everybody who's good is in it. Like Elba's in it. Yeah. I think Bardem is in it. Yeah. It's so, pretty It's pretty brolic. All right, so let's check it out for the pod. But anyway, <laughs> read the book. Also a book called Fatal. But Ivory Pearl, he didn't, he, those books were huge successes, like revolutionized um, the mystery, modern mystery in France. And then he just didn't know what else to do. So he fell silent for about a decade and like yeah. translated Watchmen, the comic book. Then a friendship with an author that he met at a mystery convention named Ross Thomas, mm. who is my favorite writer, who wrote the book Briar Patch that I'm making the TV show based on, inspired him to start- Oh, you're making Briar start- Patch? Because I- I well, it's have a competing Briar Patch. It's Sam Esmail's Briar Patch, yeah. according to the trades, which is fine. Um, th- he was inspired to try something new, and he he imagined a book that would like basically do what you really like in books—a shadow history of the 20th century sure. told through fiction. And Ivory Pearl was going to be the first book in the series, and it goes from Paris to Cuba to Hungary. Uh, it's it's in the it's set in the 50s. Oh wow! It is. Awesome. Did he and finish? He died of cancer the same year Ross Thomas did, and he didn't finish this book. Fuck. So it's an incredible feeling of reading this book, feeling like every you can hear the engines and the propellers yeah, yeah, starting yeah. on what was going to be this incredible alt history, this literary adventure, and it doesn't end. And his son wrote this introduction, and it the book ends with Manchette's notes how he wanted to end the book. Wow. It doesn't even end with anyone finishing it for him. And I really recommend it. I recommend his other books. I did want to ask you, since this is just fun time variety hour. How do you feel about unfinished business? Like, are you a fan of books or records or movies that were never finished or finished by others? Do you think of that as a separate category? For me, it drives me crazy, the thought of it. It's so So painful. I guess it's a different—I'm I'm, I'm not mad at demos in music. Yeah. So I, I, you know, and ever since, like, you know, remember, like, the Bob Dylan bootleg series mm-hmm. and— uh, like the, the like I I'm pretty into like oh I want to hear like the alt version of this I want to hear it when they're just like tuning and they started playing tonight's yeah. the night for the first time but when it comes to movies eh movies and books like I I don't really need it to be finished by someone else yeah I, I kind of don't want it to be like, finished I understand it, why like say like I know there are like long running fantasy and sci-fi series that people have come on to finish because like we were talking about a major investment, but also like a major emotional investment like, on the part of fans. Like a song of ice and fire by well, George no, but There's like, isn't wheel of time. I don't want to get it wrong, but one of those is like, has been finished by someone else. I, I am such a completist though, even about thing in my mind, like it's, it's, it's probably on some level, like, like, um, fictional OCD or something. Sure. You know, Sue Grafton, the novelist, yeah, Mr. Yeah, novelist yeah. who wrote A is for B is for, and she had this long running series. Big, big book and plane she, airports all over America. She passed away before writing the Z book. That's a bummer. Her last book is, I mean, it's a bummer for a hundred reasons. She seems like a wonderful person and left behind a family and a a great legacy of literature, but she didn't get there. And she said that out. She's like, I'm going to write 26 books, I guess. That's wild, right? Yeah. Makes me crazy. 
Um, we should transition to talking about things on TV. I do want to say, because Chris asked me this on the mic, uh, off mic before we started, I'm going to have time to watch stuff, and we're behind. The shows that I'm excited to check in on, either for Thursday or Monday or a combination of the two, Insecure is back for a third season. Mm-hmm. I love that show. I'm very eager to watch it. Um, you should check out the recapables, uh, Trayvon, Allison Herman, and Michael Peters did nice. recapables on that one, yeah. Um, also nice to see a show really, like, rise to its moment. Like, that's kind of a—it's almost old-fashioned that Insecure is in its third season, and everyone's like, oh, this is great now, and mm-hmm. there's a whole community behind it. Um, Lodge 49, interesting show we've heard some things about mm-hmm. uh, on AMC, and then it's airing on AMC with Better Call Saul, a show that you are a season behind on, but I will— I'm getting caught up, actually. Are I'm, you? It's um, good, right? I, it's It's— Great. It's, it's Better Call Saul. It's like, it's almost like too good to remark upon, but I like that. I don't mean that to be like faint praise. No, it's it's just brilliantly engineered excellence. And I, although I will be interested to see, I loved watching that show. We have to late. talk about it though, because like this, it, it is one of the most interesting mm-hmm. examples of, you know, IP colliding with originality and this mm-hmm. idea that this like train is hitting the Breaking Bad station pretty soon mm-hmm. or soon enough, you know? So we will get to the, all those yeah. things. And uh, a couple of other things coming in August. We obviously have uh, Ozark coming back. <laughs> That's why I'm leaving, honestly. <laughs> and uh, Jack Ryan um, will be on Amazon. So yep. there's a lot of stuff coming and that, I guess, leads us up to um, talking about the content wars. So why don't we take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we'll be back and we'll kind of go through all these networks. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Udemy. Udemy is the largest and most accessible online learning marketplace with the most courses, teachers, and opportunities for students everywhere around the globe. Udemy has over 65,000 courses from coding to comic book art available anywhere on their website and app. So whether you're at home, at the desk, on the computer, or using their app, Udemy gives you access to new knowledge wherever you are. Udemy is a great learning tool and has helped students all over the world improve their skills, their careers, and their lives. I've been dabbling, dabbling, we're trying to learn another language, and I've been checking out some of these Udemy courses, and they're really awesome. They have beginner-level courses, especially for someone, you know, like me who doesn't have a ton of time. It's great to be able to just access on the fly. So I recommend if you've been thinking about learning a new trade, a new field of knowledge, a new skill, check out Udemy. Go to ude.my slash watch right now, and you get 90% off when you sign up for classes. And make sure you download their app for your phone so you can stream your studies wherever you are. That's ude.my slash watch, ude.my slash watch. Greenwald, we're back. I just want to say also before we get into the real conversation here that uh, we have these shirts, man, and they're, they're like a hot property. I love this. Uh, watch t-shirts. It says, great job, Bransky, on it. You can get them at ringer.com slash shop. Uh, the last time we had them, we sold them out pretty quick. So, yeah. so cop, cop a shirt if you want it. It's, it's quite lovely. That color would really compliment your beard. Well, it would compliment my tanned... I have like a tan now, so my eyes are popping. So maybe that... I don't know if it would be too intense. It's, you look... You know, you look a little ruddy. Like you've been out... You've been out doing some like work with the dog soldiers. That's what you look like. That's what you think? Yeah. Is that a compliment? You're smiling so big right now. You want, this is a compliment no, that's for not, you. I don't like ruddy. I mean, like Irish washerwoman? No, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> clean clothes is never something to be ashamed of. No, I just mean like, you know, you know in movies 
when people like smugglers land the plane at the airfield cut out of the jungle somewhere. Yeah. And there's the guy in all khaki waiting for the delivery. Yeah, Jeff Fahey's there. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> okay. That's Ruddy. That's what I'm picturing. Okay. Uh, Greenwald. So what I did is I basically broke down a bunch of these networks and talked a little bit. We want to talk a little bit about where they are right now. Jeff Fahey? Yeah. You still got it. Frank, man. I love it. And then uh, we're not going to talk about Netflix. Here's why. Okay. Everybody is reacting to Netflix, whether consciously or unconsciously. And they are exp- a lot of these networks have explicitly stated they've figured out their line that they're going to use in, in opposition to Netflix. So this is something that you noticed coming out of each network's yeah. presentation at the TCA, the, yeah, the Television Yeah, because typically what happens is t- uh, network presidents show up at the TCAs and they give a sort of State of the Union speech about their network, but also about right. the state of television in general. And this is a... Uh, an act sort of popularized by FX's John Landgraf, who coined, you know, peak TV, I think, right, at this. He's also, in return, was dubbed the mayor of TV. The by mayor of TV and came him. back with another chapter of of this sort of long-running commentary about the state of television that he has now dubbed the Gilded Age of television, mm-hmm. which we're going to get into. But now Casey Bloys from HBO does it and David Nevins does it and uh, David Madden, I believe, from AMC does it. And mm-hmm. everybody is kind of giving their their spiel. And increasingly what you're hearing is there is it's we're at a moment of scale. So everybody is producing a ton of stuff. And yeah. if they're not, they're going to be. They're doing that in response to Netflix and this what they see as pretty soon uh, Netflix. I mean, Netflix is already producing an unprecedented amount of original content across docs, uh, non-scripted, scripted, and movies. Every, every category, yeah. Right. But... That's so. So places like HBO, places like FX, places like AMC have to sort of recontextualize themselves in the face of that. Now, Andy and I, in the past maybe year or so, have been like, "Huh, you know, it's like, what are, what's up? Like, what's going on with FX now? Or like, what's going on with it? Like, we kind of just are like, that, those are just television networks. But there's something about the last couple of weeks where I feel like they've at least represented themselves as, yeah, we're a television network and we are curators or we are this in the face of that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to just go through a couple of these networks. FX is one that I think is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked a ton about their shows in a while. I'm sh- you know, since obviously Atlanta was something that we talked about quite a bit and Taboo remains near and dear to my heart. And trust, but we didn't, you know, we, it fell off. Yeah. We, in both in terms of quality and also our commentary about it. But I wanted to talk a little bit about their presentation. So Landgraf gave this speech at TCA's called the, and basically dubbed this era the, the Gilded Age. And this is a quote from him. The number of new series I've seen announced just this week, including ours alone, makes me suspect that the golden age of television has become the Gilded Age of television. There is an epic battle between various now very large companies that are going to be competing in the streaming business. And as long as that competition is red hot, and as long as those services are scaling up, I think there's likely to be a fairly substantial investment, even increasing investment in scripted content. So I think my earlier estimates that peak TV would have peaked are wrong now. I think it's a ways away. And in almost response to that, FX announced a frankly like mouth-watering slate. Yes, this was... This was classic FX, which, you know, I think it's because of the stability of the leadership over there. Um, Landgraf at the top and uh, Nick Grad and Eric Schreier just below him. And Grad's been on the, the pod before. Yep. Yeah. And Gina Balian. Um, they are a very consistently managed company. I mean, obviously, we'll see what happens with the Disney sale. But um, one of the benefits of that has allowed them to basically stay the course. And they did not overreact or underreact to all the upheaval in television in the last two years. And 
I think, acknowledged well before we even noticed the potential disadvantages of the heavily invested auteur model that they had uh, trailblazed, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about that, that, that by heavily investing in Louis C.K. and Noah Hawley and Ryan Murphy, um, you run the risk of having a year where those people don't really feel like doing their signature shows because sure. you've encouraged them not to. Or you run the risk of Louis C.K. becoming, you know, news coming out about Louis C.K. and severing your business relationship with him or Ryan Murphy going to Netflix. It does seem like they were aware of that behind the scenes, leading to a classic FX day at TCA where Landgraf can stroke his chin and speak very wisely about the state of play and then, you know, sort of politely cough and, you know, almost as if business is beneath him, unveil this dope slate yes. that seems ready to compete with everybody on FX's term. So FX is a really good example, as is HBO, uh, who we will get to, of in the face of scale, they are eventizing. They made every show that they announced feel special. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, you know, even Fargo, which they announced is returning for a fourth season, it was the splashiest possible mm-hmm. uh, announcement for Fargo. Not in terms of like the scale of the announcement or anything, but just if I said, hey, Fargo's going to come back, you're like, oh, cool, cool, cool. I love Fargo. If I told you Fargo's coming back and it's starring Chris Rock and it's set in 1950s Kansas City and it's about a, a crime war between two criminal syndicates, one Italian, one African-American, you're watching it. Yeah, and it, because the other thing about this is, no one is going to say this. I have not spoken to Noah about this. I've not spoken to Nick or anyone at FX about this. But this does seem like the best case scenario version for Fargo, which I'm not alone in saying this, I thought went a little too heady in mm-hmm. its third season. It did not entirely work for me. The second season was the most beautiful marriage of, of head and heart. Sure. It was, you know, it, it, and look, it was a gang show and that's what people really like watching on TV. This version of it with this story in this era with that actor, they waited for the right moment. It makes, it makes it, it makes the decision to let people call their shot. It makes it look incredibly smart. Yeah. And then they basically announced a series of event-style programming, mm-hmm. Shogun, which is about as event as you can get. It's an old-school miniseries. It was a huge miniseries back in the 80s with Richard Chamberlain. They're remaking it. It's set in feudal Japan. They've also got Devs, the Alex Garland show starring Nick Offerman about a mysterious sci-fi, a, a mysterious and, software developer. And Sonoya Mizuno, Mizuno, who was in Ex Machina. Yeah. And um, I believe was was in the suit at the end of Annihilation as well. Um this is the the first fruit from uh, what I'm sure was a very lucrative investment in Alex Garland with an overall deal just a few announced a few months ago. Yeah, so you've got Shogun, you got Devs. The thing I'm most excited for possibly is the untitled Gwen Verdon Bob Fosse show with Michelle Williams and Sam Rockwell. It's great, which is executive produced by Lin Manuel Miranda and directed by Thomas Kale, who obviously the team behind Hamilton. Uh, I don't. I, 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 people have listened to this podcast for a while know that I, all that jazz is one of my favorite movies. And the idea of Sam Rockwell taking on that role that Roy Scheider, mm-hmm. obvi- you know, did so well, it's it, it'll be a fascinating experiment. You know, and the other thing that I'll say here is that this might be. I again, I know nothing. I've, I know no tea leaves here. Mm-hmm. But there, some of the speculation um, about the Disney Fox merger, not merger, the purchase where Disney was buying the Fox assets. There's a catastrophic version of this where the stable culture we discussed at FX is shaken to its core or picked clean for parts. But there's another version of it where Disney one, looks at what it has and what it doesn't have, and what it doesn't have is a prestige arm. Which they've they've suggested that they will invest in FX and Fox Searchlight. And if that's the case, FX is putting its absolute best face forward, mm-hmm. saying, we can't compete on this, we can't compete on that, we're not going to do a cake-baking show, but we will get 
and a newly minted Oscar winner and Michelle Williams making something that is going to gobble up uh, headline space on culture blogs. It's going to dominate Twitter. It's going to win awards. And on top of that, it might be really good. Yeah. It's smart. Um, FX has always been a, a, I think the FX have gone through a, a period of transition and, and they've arrived at something. Another network that has obviously gone through a period of transition, even though they've had a consistent uh, bell cow in the Walking Dead franchise is AMC. Mm-hmm. And AMC is interesting because I think that they were accidental forerunners in prestige TV. I don't, I don't mean to belittle their accomplishments, but having Mad Men, Breaking Bad, and the early season of The Walking Dead all in and around the same era gave them this foothold. And then I don't know that we really feel like they've done what we had hoped with it. You know what I mean? Like I think that they've 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 in recent years fallen a little short of expectations given where they were, say, 10 years ago. Yeah, and I think the the line on AMC has been uh, they don't have the ammunition. You know, it, it, it's AMC Networks uh, does not have the deep-pocketed corporate overlord. They don't have a phone company behind them. Mm-hmm. They don't have endless, apparently, investors' faith and capital behind them. So they were, in many ways, the best positioned uh, for the future, but what they really were was the best positioned for the previous era. Yeah. You know, they were in front of everyone in terms of the auteur era, in terms of allowing talented people to take the scripts that they used to get other jobs and make them, which sure. is the case of Mad Men and Breaking Bad. They took the chance on The Walking Dead when FX famously passed. It was originally developed for broadcast TV, which is shocking to imagine now. Um, they, it, it's... It's not a sad story. I don't know why I'm starting to use that kind of terminology. It it does seem like there was a missed opportunity despite they, them consistently making good programming or good programming decisions. There's been incredible stuff on Sundance. The investments they've made in foreign co-productions yeah. um, has paid off for them. Um, you know, the... Um, well, we really liked... I, I really liked McMafia. McMafia was a recent example of that. Yeah. And also... Um, Honorable Woman. On, uh, well, Honorable Woman, one of our favorite shows of the yeah. last few years. No, I'm thinking of the Lacare. Oh, on, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, Night Manager Night from Manager. a couple of years ago, and they'll have a little drummer girl coming. So let's get into that because David Madden did a little bit of um, his own land graphing by sort of positioning AMC as prestige popcorn. That, that was his quote. And you, if you look at their slate through that lens, it's really interesting. It's this idea of trying to pick off uh, people who want genre stuff that's a little intellectually stimulating. Mm-hmm. That's intellectually stimulating. So you have The Walking Dead Empire. You have Better Call Saul, which I think is like breaking... It may never hit Breaking Bad levels of zeitgeist capturing, but it will probably continue to develop an audience as it stays on Netflix. And it's a valuable chip for future streaming libraries. And it's a valuable chi- valuable chip. McMafia is going to come back for a second season. I'm happy about that, but I know that some people thought it was kind of empty, but I, I didn't, you know what I mean? Uh, and then there's a couple of things that they've announced. One thing that was pretty surprising to me was that they got this Jason Siegel show, yeah. which sounds really interesting. It's an anthology series called Dispatches from Elsewhere, and it's about a group of uh, people, unrelated people, who discover... A, this is just the log line, a puzzle that sort of pulls back the veil on like what they see in real life. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Utopia? A which is bit. the British yeah, series yeah. that was famously going to be adapted by um, Fincher, Gil- right? Gillian Flynn and David Fincher yeah. for HBO. There's a budget, fallout over budget. It is now straight to series at Amazon. It's about, I think it's about people who find a graphic novel yeah. that unlocks something. Yeah, yeah. So Siegel hasn't done a TV show since How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's obviously a really talented guy. So it'll be really curious to see that. They also are um, doing a 
horror show called Nosferatu, which is from Stephen King's son, Joe Hill. Um, and that was part of their script to series development, which is essentially they set up writer's rooms for these possible shows and they look at multiple scripts rather than, hey, write one thing, shoot a pilot. We'll all take a look at the pilot and decide whether to move forward as a series. They look at it as, okay, we feel like we know where this is going and this is solid. Let's let's move forward with one it. One thing that AMC has been in front of for with good results and maybe not mixed results has been trying to adapt to the climate uh, within their financial situation. And one thing that they got roasted for during their height of their success with Walking Dead was the sort of bake-off where they would um, have people prepare tons of material and scripts and whatever, and then they would present them and then they would say, okay, you get to make a show. The, the, what you're speaking to about basically funding the short-term expense sure. of building a writer's room, writing the scripts, it, it sort of strikes a middle ground between you know the, the older mo- model, which is what I'm doing right now, make Pilots a pilot, yeah. and then you see... Or the straight to series, which is just you know the which is the real hammer blow that these deep pocketed companies sure. can do because they can afford the loss. When they get a Reese Witherspoon attached to something, it goes straight to series or whatever. Yeah, and they can they can just they can they can eat it if it doesn't work basically. Yeah. Um, but that's something they do often. I think they did that with Lodge Forty Nine, which we're going to talk about soon. And they did it with Strange Angel, and then decided not to make the show. Hmm. And then that show is made by picked up by and made by CBS All Access. Oh, interesting. Uh, AMC also notably has Little Drummer Girl, which we mentioned. It's a John Le Carre adaptation, uh, adaptation with Florence Pugh and uh, Alexander Skarsgård, and it's directed by friggin' Park Chan Wook. Sometimes That's I'm just so like, crazy. how the fuck does this happen? You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it just seems like they're playing roulette with my mind, and they're just like, yeah, you like this and you like this. Let's put it all together. I I can't wait for this though. I have to say the one thing, and I wish I could speak on it more. One of the things that has blown my mind, switching sides in the TV business is when um, companies, you know, part the curtain a little bit and they're like, I'll I'll take a meeting with someone and they'll say, well, we've got this going on. And it does seem like genius bingo, where they're like, we have this writer whom you worship working on this bizarre idea of a a period piece. Oh, and this guy who's won the Palme d'Or can is going to direct. And it's okay. And it's so much more speculative than even things that we talk about here having been announced and thinking they're never going to happen. Sure. This is this this stuff is fueling the business. By the way, right that's now. why we're not doing Apple for this because I don't know you know what to say. I, I don't know what to even say or do about Apple either. I don't until they make a television show. Yeah, then we'll talk. Okay. Uh, I still I still and I say this with with expectation and excitement and affection. I think they're great at the business they're in, but at that currently is the press release business. And when they make a show and they explain how we're going to watch it. We'll talk. Uh, I also just want to mention that I'm excited for this show that's coming on AMC called In the Middle of the Street, which is a West Philadelphia set family family drama written by Coleman Domingo. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, that I mean, David Madden, who took over AMC Networks from Joel Stillerman, uh, who went to Hulu and has since departed from Hulu. Uh, I'm, I sat with him once. He's a very nice guy, very smart guy. And it was interesting that when AMC had an opening, they went to a veteran uh, manager who prior to AMC was in charge of scripted at Fox. And that might bring some of the popcorn elements, yeah. the prestige popcorn you were talking about. Um, let's talk about HBO. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I guess it's worth mentioning that the HBO and The Ringer have a, have had and have can, have had a relationship. And we've been, as, as many what, people what, know. I like the Facebook. What's the relationship status? Well, no, I mean, like, obviously, Bill, Bill has a relationship yeah. with HBO, mm-hmm. and Andy and I were on HBO, albeit... I'll be it briefly. <laughs> oh, I think I, I just, mean, like we we basically had the same run as luck, though. I thought we we're on the bubble. Yeah. Oh, we're not. Are we being brought back? <laughs> For what it's worth, we were never officially canceled. That's true. Um, I haven't really seen the sort of save 
after the thrones billboard campaign that yeah, we've seen for hashtag, like hashtag bro like just like the people who loved the Naomi Watts show Gypsy <laughs> fucked around and got a billboard on Sunset Boulevard like hello we're right here <laughs> Um, obviously the AT&T deal went through, uh, there was an initial dust storm about, uh, John Stanky's speech to HBO employees at a kind of t- town hall about the I, I culture love, shift. I love his name is John Stanky. And then, it does sound like you're making that up. But there was one thing that he said at that town hall that I wanted to uh, bring up. It was basically a conversation between him and Richard Plepler. And he brought up one thing that I think is something to keep an eye on as we go forward in the next couple of years. And it's this, a broad theme that I believe is occurring in the industry is there aren't going to be an unlimited number of platforms that have direct-to-consumer relationships. There will be a select number of platforms that have direct-to-consumer relationships. It's not going to be 10, and it probably won't be two, but is it going to be, now is it going to be eight, six, or four? Now, I don't know if it's four, we need to be one of the four, and if it's six, we need to be one of the six. That's crucial. Does he need to be one of the eight? I just want to follow this I through. assume so, but okay. the, the point is, is that we're seeing this sort of huge arms race going on someone's gonna lose the arms race Mm -hmm. i don't even know who it really could be you know what i mean but this there will be an era of consolidation at some point yep right like they will bring the good stuff over drop the bad stuff and we will be left with five things to choose from and maybe it's your disney over the top app that also and and you get espn over the top as well there's apple there's netflix and then there's this AT&T Time Warner thing. And then after that, I don't know. You know, Hulu obviously. Well, Hulu will be Disney. Hulu will be Disney. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there, but now outside of that. And that's where the FX is. I guess FX goes into uh, mm-hmm. into Disney, but AMCs. But AMCs and stars. Uh, yes. That that's, the real, that's where the real question marks start to come. Right. That being a- and said. And also there's the whole scripts business, by the way, which is unscripted mostly, so we don't talk about it. But like. There was an article on Grub Street that I recommend a week or two ago about what's going on with Food Network. Uh-huh. And it was pretty interesting. The head of the network was just like, look, I'm in the television business. I'm not in the teaching people how to cook business or to like good food business. Like people, this the, enough people like watching home cooks screw up cupcakes that were fine. That was basically the subtext. Because we don't even talk about the fact that Netflix in its spare time was like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna eat your whole life too. Yeah. I'm gonna just eat the heart out of you with from the high end with like um ugly delicious and chef's table and the lower end, like nailed it. Yeah. So it is happening to everyone and they're responding in different ways. Well, I wanna talk about what HBO is doing in response to that, but first let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Black Tux. Wedding season is upon us, and when you're bringing a date, you want to look fresh. That's where TheBlackTux.com comes in. It lets you rent awesome suits and tuxedos in all styles online. With The Black Tux, you can take your style to the next level in funky, cool options like the Emerald Shawl Tuxedo, and then you blow it out for your big one-time event and with free home try-on. You can feel the quality and see the fit months before your event. After ordering, your suit will arrive 14 days before your event. If anything is less than perfect, the Black Tux will send you a new replacement right away. You wear it, you turn heads, and then you send it back three days later. It's that easy. Shipping is free both ways. We've been using Black Tux for any of our like after shows that we've been doing where we have to get dolled up, and we love the experience. You can pick cool suits, you get the tux. Who really needs to buy a tux, you know? Like, unless you're a member of of the Roy family, you don't need a tuxedo. 
That's right. Yeah. So just go to the Black Tux and get souped up. To get $20 off your purchase, visit theblacktux.com slash watch. That's theblacktux.com slash watch. For $20 off your first purchase, the Black Tux premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by ADT. Is your home an ADT home? Get ADT and help protect against break-ins, fire, and carbon monoxide. For a limited time, get ADT's lowest rate starting at just $28.99 a month from the most trusted name in home security. That's just a dollar a day. ADT is the first security company to help keep you safe at home and when you're on the go with the new ADT Go app. Not to mention ADT Go also offers a family locator, private messaging, automatic check-ins, and safe driving reports. It even includes an SOS button with 24-7 emergency response. And you get ADT Go with a purchase of any security system. Go to ADT.com slash podcast to take advantage of ADT's lowest rate. ADT tested, trusted, proven with 36-month monitoring contract. Early termination installation fees apply. Excludes taxes and fees. Applies to traditional services only. Certain markets excluded. Licenses available at ADT.com. Okay, so we're talking about how HBO is responding to this moment. And, you know, it's interesting what's come out since the merger because there's there's this uh, piece on uh, RDEF, Redef. Uh, is RDEF your pet name for it? No, it's just like that's how it's R-D-E-F is the, is the name of the site. Oh. Um, but um, it's written by Matthew Ball, and it's basically this huge piece about the state of HBO and where it's going, multi-part piece. And one just random detail in there is this uh, tidbit that he said that they had to pass on Glow for financial reasons. Wow. Yeah. And that's an interesting idea because we think of HBO as just this like flush, star-studded, every, you know, a Game of ago, Thrones, Westworld, talk- spending hundreds of millions of dollars. But we were talking about that in terms of succession because yeah. it's a show where it is filmed in New York. That's where it's filmed. Yes. But then they were they just decided to also shoot an episode. They were in that episode. manor for three weeks. Then they shot an episode in New Mexico. And then, yeah, then they shot two or three episodes <laughs> yeah. in a mansion in outside of London. Yeah. So I don't know whether HBO is back. That's a stupid thing to say. But there has definitely been an uptick in them throwing their weight around a little bit. They've uh-huh. got Damon Lindelof's The Watchmen. That was announced a while ago. They won what was apparently a bidding war for Joss Whedon's return to television with The Nevers, which is a Victorian set. Joss Whedon show, mm-hmm. I, so, so add in people with powers and, you know. Maybe you, maybe some banter? Yes. And they've also got uh, a the first show written by J.J. Abramson's Fringe, uh, Demi Moaned, which is apparently about a family and a portal to another dimension. J.J. Abramson. Is there a mystery box? Yeah. Um, that being said, there's also The Undoing, which is a collaboration between David E. Kelly and Nicole Kidman, Lovecraft Country, which is Jordan Peele's show, uh, My Brilliant Friend, the adaptation of My Brilliant Friend, Camping with Jennifer Garner from Lena Dunham. I'm waiting for you to say the words I want to hear, The New Pope. The New Pope. I'm I'm getting to, that's the, and then they have, a lot of these, a lot of these networks don't have this, and HBO has returning series. Now, sometimes they take a while to come back, and sometimes they may not be as good as they were when they were there, but they've got the final season of Game of Thrones in the first half of next year. And then they've got True Detective Season 3, mm-hmm. and they've got The New Pope, and they've got Big Little Lies Season 2 with Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. Those are like, now all of a sudden, you look at that, and you're like, oh, they have like a show, and you have to imagine Succession, I think Kieran Culkin talked about they're going to get back together in January to shoot the mm-hmm. next season. So you're talking about five, six shows that are big conversation pieces. Now, they have a ton of work to do on scale, on the on how they're going to program their app, 
what they're going to be as like a offline kind of off off the box kind of entity. Yeah, because again, if we're talking about Netflix's effect, it's not just in making these giant swings in scripted. It's the fact that Netflix is also just nibbling, nibbling, nibbling away. The stand-up comedy business, has the focus seems to have shifted to Netflix. Their documentary business is just getting warmed up. And those are the kinds of things that have also been bread and butter for HBO and help their content library remain peerless. So they're they are fighting a lot of, they're fighting wars on a lot of fronts right now. Exactly. HBO and Showtime have always sort of been, you get HBO, you get Showtime, you know, like when you get cable. And they've always, they're the sort of grandfathers of this whole shit. And Showtime is in an interesting spot. We've talked a little bit about this. We mentioned that Daisy and Mero were going to uh, mm-hmm. Showtime. We mentioned, uh, there was another, oh, they, you really were uh, with Smilf. Uh, there was a couple other things I was just... Oh, well, oh, there's, well there's, Billions, obviously. But they also have these other shows like Black Monday. Um, well, that's what I was going to mention, this we, upcoming slate. Oh, let's talk upcoming slate. Yeah, so they have Black Monday, which is an 80s Wall Street crash show. Set in my sweet spot. Yes. Starring our friend, Paul Shear and, and other people, Andrew Don Reynolds. Don Cheadle, nice Andrew guy. Reynolds, Regina Hall. It was created by David Caspi, who made Happy Endings, along with Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, among other people. They have Kidding with Jim Carrey, which looks like it. Michelle Gondry show. Yeah, it's it looks like it cost a, a lot. Oh, not it doesn't. It just looks like a movie. And this is the thing with this new slate of Showtime stuff is no one show exemplifies. I think we've had a delay when when Prestige TV was first hitting. We we're like, well, this is where the seventies America cinema is gonna the the spirit of seventies American cinema is gonna be alive in Prestige Television. And then we talked about how the genre movies of the nineties and early aughts that we grew up with will now move to the small screen because everything is IP and superheroes on the big screen. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we actually saw that. This, this Escape from Datamora exemplifies that to oh, me. Oh, yeah. And it's on Showtime and it's a miniseries and it looks like a movie. It, it, this is the thing is like as, as the small screen has become, started to resemble the big screen more and more with these filmmakers and these frankly otorist filmmakers, I feel like you when you watch these shows now, you're like, oh, this is the movies. We are getting it's and now a lot of these shows fall victim to too much fat. You know, mm-hmm. and we will see with these some of these limited series, whether that was an eight-episode show that should have been six or a six mm-hmm. that should have been three. But for now, just watching the trailer, Escape from Danamora looks incredible. It looks incredible. It also looks like it understands a very specific tone, the hardest tone to do, which is serious but funny. Uh, absurd, but uh, engaging. Yeah. And increasingly, and I say this as someone who's making a big bet that that TV will support this and audiences will find it. Um, it, it seems like TV can can do that. Sure. You know that you can you can show audiences a lot of different a lot of different speed pitches. Basically, Succession is a perfect example of that. Exactly. And the, although that was even for for me an adjustment, it took a minute mm-hmm. to sort of catch up to it and understand what was coming. Um, when it premiered last year, obviously I was in ecstasies for other reasons, but Twin Peaks is unquestionably a win for Showtime. I think when they announced it, everyone looked at that and thought, well, it's sort of a strange home for it, but Showtime needed to get into, you know, the the rush on reboots and also some existing IP, get some good press, get into that kind of, get back into that prestige business that everyone else seems to be in. What it was really accomplishing for the network, I think, was hanging a sign outside of its door saying, we're open for, we're open for business. Mm-hmm. We're ready to get weird, to play around, to experiment. And then 
post-Twin Peaks, you get things like Patrick Melrose, which we talked about briefly. You get yeah. the Sasha Baron Cohen show, which we haven't talked about at all. Um, and then they you, still you, have the thrum of Homeland, which is going to its last season, Shameless, which is going to its Ray last Donovan. season, Ray Donovan, Billions, which is going to go it, for another five seasons probably. They are diversifying in a way that people have been agitating for them to do for quite some time in a way that, that, I, that seems impressive. Now, because they have a smaller, slightly smaller slate, they have to, when they hit, they have to hit big. So Halo is their big Game of Thrones yeah. play. And we talked, we did a whole podcast about that. If that doesn't hit, then that's going to be a very expensive Miss. misstep. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's impressive to be, to be developing on two tracks. I mean, we didn't, did we mention City on a Hill, the Kevin Bacon yeah. drama? I mean, that's like, uh, Aldous Hodge and Kevin Bacon. It's from Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Uh, and it's about um, the 90s in Boston and a, uh, I think a district attorney and a FBI agent who joined forces to clean up Boston. And it's got a Culkin. And it's got, got Rory, Rory Culkin. Yeah. yeah. We talk about making big bets. So we end with Amazon. Wait, when are we talking about USA's brilliant investment? I decided in not a young, to- young, hungry, because he didn't eat breakfast really. Go on. <laughs> I decided not to do USA for, uh, you know, what, what do they call that? Uh, incestuous. Conflict of, conflict of interest, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Uh, but with Amazon, and I really like, you know, they have the Romanoffs, they have Homecoming from our buddy Sam, they have uh, Mrs. Ma- Miss Maisel season two. Yes, I'm more excited about that than basically any other And then show. they have fucking Lord of the Rings coming at some point in yep. the, the distant future. They feel more like a movie studio to me. They mm. feel like the bets that they're making are the biggest bets you can make. Um, you put Julia Roberts in a show, you make Lord of the Rings. Like That's like, you're basically competing I, with, I, with like Warner Brothers. You well, know? I think, yes, but I think that's because their TV business has been in flux since the minute it was introduced. When they put Roy Price in charge of it, Roy Price has since stepped down due to um, allegations of misbehavior. The decisions he made were clearly driven by splashiness, by potentially by ego or peak, like making a deal with Woody Allen doesn't that's not a necessarily in in 2016 or whenever he did it regardless of the politics around making the move that is not a business decision that's a press release generating i want to work with a filmmaker uh who's made great films decision you know what i mean jen salki is now in charge there and she's been in charge since april and Mm -hmm. she came from nbc and so the decisions that will be made now for the next year that we'll start to see play out in the next year and a half to two years, that will say more about it. Because the blockbuster part of it, yeah. which they have the ability to do, they have the money to do it, they have a whole separate department now, reporting to Jen Salke, but a department devoted to event series, sure. to the biggest possible things. Sure. So, yeah, but, you know, maybe this is the best way to cap off the whole conversation. Uh, if, 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 our, if Big Homie from AT&T was saying there's only going to be four companies or six companies, look, Apple's going to be one of them. And Apple, Amazon's going to be one of them. And Amazon's going to be Netflix one of them. And Netflix is going to be one of them. We know that. Those slots are taken. Apple, we're joking, saying they're like being dilettantish about this. They can afford to be. They have a market cap of a trillion dollars. Yeah. They can continue to sign Reese Witherspoon for shows that are going to, going to cost $100 million a season. Never make them. Yeah. Consign them to whatever room they have the new Newton in and not even blink. That's not what AMC can do. Yeah. So it is incredibly difficult to, 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 to try to compare these things. You know, it is um, almost like making a separate category for movies that are good and movies that are popular. Something we forgot to talk do about. Do you want to do a riff on that before we go? Just, I mean, what is, what, there's not much to say now because everybody's had their say about it and The Ringer has covered this very well and Sean Fennessy, the sage of old Hollywood, 
has written really intelligently and, and insightfully about yeah, this. Yeah, Sean's piece today is is awesome. If you guys have it, but if you want to know what th- is going on here, read Sean's piece. But it is so incredibly stupid and reactionary and and such an unforced error that I have to say, here, here's the only take that I wanted to make about it. This sounds like something the Emmys would do. <laughs> For real. Like, yeah. I'm surprised that the Emmys have continued to resist caving and creating a separate category for best broadcast show or best show 22 episodes versus 10 episodes as many, many people, deep-pocketed people, not as deep-pocketed as Netflix and Amazon, which is probably why they haven't done it, but have lobbied them to do, to increase the scope. Um, Because while Amazon has the most money, CBS definitely still has the most viewers and their shows rarely get nominated. This is like, it just, I always thought that Emmys, the Emmys would, would, would cave, they would cater um, because there, there used to be this sort of, you know, younger sibling thing about the TV where if a movie, if Al Pacino showed up, he would get an award just for being there, just for sitting in the audience. But there's that streak at the Oscars that I make fun of every year. And people say, you make fun of this every year. You need new material. And I say, good point, but I'm going to drag it out again, where they have those long things where the movies are like, here's some movies. You might like movies. Here's some people talking about their favorite movies, movies. And we're like, we know your movies. I, you know how I feel about this. You know, I disagree with you. I don't know how you disagree with yeah, me. Yeah, I, I like the movie montages. No, I know I you like, like the montages. I thought you were saying you like the idea of a popular Oscar. Oh, I don't... It's I, like a participation It's trophy. idiotic. I, I don't think they need to do this. I, I, I don't think... I, I guess I've just like hit a point where I'm tired of optimization and I'm tired of like people trying to like fix it, you know? And I, it, I, I get it, but this wasn't something... The Oscars can only represent the movies that come out. If the yes. popular movies aren't that good, they're like everybody wants to nominate like Logan or, you know, like they, I, I know Logan only got nominated for screenplay, but like there is a deep desire to nominate Black Panther for Best yeah, Picture. It probably it's going will, to happen. It was can, going to happen. But can I also say, especially in an era where the ceiling has been lowered for everybody in media, Lady Bird is popular. Yeah. Lady Bird made a lot of money for an independent film. The Oscars nominating Lady Bird made it a lot more money and got a lot more people to watch something really good. More people watched Lady Bird than watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, for example, probably, or Patriot. I'm just trying to name Amazon shows that they spent more money on than A24 spent on Lady Bird. Not because those aren't good also, but because what's popular? And if you are so popular that we don't even need to have this conversation, mm-hmm. if you've made $700 million dollars, why do you need a trophy? Why do you also need a trophy? Right. It's like you're but already a reality them. star it's, show. It's Why do you have industry. to be president? It's ABC, isn't it? It's well, ABC yes. being like, we, we invested a lot of money in this. We want this to be a digestible show. We want it to have a guarantee that the biggest movies of the year are going to make it, appearances it's just outside so, of technical categories. But it's just so weird because Disney owns Black Panther and Disney owns ABC. Jimmy Kimmel puts on a good show now, I mean, he's got that job for as long as he wants it, and he's very good at it. It's an entertaining show. The cast of Black Panther will show up. They will look incredible in their outfits. They will present awards. We will see the familial spirit between them that we love so much on the red carpet and in the movie. Why do they also need to... It just It's so bizarre, and it's such a self-inflicted wound that it, it, it's crazy. It weakens... We're talking about awards, but it weakens all of this sure. going forward in a very strange way. Um, but look, that may be a good capper for a show that's been, that was basically about how TV is only growing. That's so, true. Sorry, movies. You're done. You're done, movies. We'll be back Thursday. Let's talk. Let's say we'll 
we'll talk Lodge and Better Call on Thursday. Insecure. I'd like to get into Whichever also. One, you, it's, it's dealer's choice, man. You're the one on the road. I just want to say it's been a pleasure doing a podcast with you in person <laughs> before I got the eagle tattoos all over my body. And, and I'm not talking Doug Peterson. Um, I will be remote yeah. for the next few weeks, but I'll be here. All right, brother. Great job, Branskis. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by ADT, introducing ADT Go, the new family mobile safety app and service. Get ADT Go with 24-7 emergency response with any ADT security system. Go to ADT.com slash podcast to learn more today with 36-month monitoring contract. Early termination installation fees apply. Certain markets excluded. Licenses available at ADT.com. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you will love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can also book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It's easy. Book hotels in 10 seconds and just three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now. Start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need.